Got it. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see there's an older pastor here. <laughs> it used to be when I was uh, a young Christian, all the pastors were older than me. These days, most of the pastors are younger than me. Well, 1 Peter. We could probably just look at one verse at a time here. We're not going to. Um, there's so much here. Um, you're not going to understand it all. I don't understand it all. Um, but let's ask God to speak to our hearts and for him to reveal the things that he wants us personally to understand from this book, from this word. So let's just ask him to do that. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that we can come into your presence. We've sang about it this morning. We've sang that you are here amongst us. We know that the Lord is present and walks amongst the churches. And Lord, we don't see you always, as we will see later in this book. We don't always see you with our eyes, but we do love you. And we experience the joy of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. And so we're asking you in all our frailty and our helplessness and even for some our hopelessness that you would speak to our hearts and bring about the, the word and the truth and the help that only the Spirit of God can bring as we look at this wonderful book. Amen. Well, we're going to be looking at um, 1 Peter, all five chapters, over the next um, quite a few weeks. Uh, this morning we're just going to be looking at the passage that Jem read to us, verses uh, 1 to uh, 12. But let me just say a little bit about the book generally as an introduction. We sang, um, one of, in one of the hymns we sang... Uh, today, be still my soul, there was a phrase there that said, through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. <laughs> That's the summary of this book. Through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. We don't often associate suffering and trial and difficulty with joy. It's not our natural state. I'm sure this week, and maybe the last month and the last year, you have faced issues in your life that you did not choose. Some of them you never would have chosen. Things that have happened that you would prefer not to have had happen. Now, if you're an exception to that, you could probably leave now because this book's not for you. Life is hard. Life is full of trials and difficulties. Now, I'm not a pessimist. I'm actually an optimist. <laughs> but that's the truth. That's a reality. And one of the things that this book um, is here for, I believe, is for 
Christians and even for unbelievers to recognise that that's not going to change. When I was young, uh, I remember when I'd become a Christian, not long after I was 17 years old, uh, I remember somebody telling me quite ardently about the suffering that Christians have to go through, and I hated to hear that message. I didn't want to think about the suffering. I didn't want to think about death. And yet the scriptures confront us with it constantly. And this book confronts us with it. Because Peter was writing, and we see at the beginning here, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, appointed by Jesus Christ, actually a man who a few years later was going to be killed for his faith. As tradition tells us, crucified upside down. He knew what it was to suffer. And he is appointed by the Lord with an apostolic authority. What that meant was that he was endorsed and empowered by God to bring us the word of God. And he's writing to these people like us, no different in many respects. It says that they were elect or chosen exiles. Now, I don't know what you think about when you think about exiles, but it's probably... I, I hate to be doing a commentary on translations, but, but the older translations used to say sojourner or traveller or pilgrim, old-fashioned words. Exile is probably not quite the sense that we would think of exiles. We think of exiles and refugees as, as people that have been, um, uh, have been thrown out, if you like, um, the sense here is of someone who is in and living in a land in which they don't belong. You're travelling through. Now, a few of us here are Australians, a few of us come from different places, and these people were citizens of various places. They were actually citizens of Rome. All of the places that, that Peter talks about here were Roman um, protectorates, colonies, if you like. Oh, we've got Batman here. <laughs> and, and, and so they were citizens, but, but he says that they were exiles or pilgrims, let me say that word. Does everybody know what a pilgrim or a sojourner is? It's someone who is just travelling through. And he's saying, you people are in these places, scattered around, in fact, um, we won't talk about these places so much, but they were scattered around these places and they didn't belong there. We're going to find out where they belonged soon. They didn't belong in these places and yet they were chosen by God. That's what the word elect means. They were chosen. God had chosen these people. <laughs> He'd chosen and they're scattered. Well, you would think that if God chose them, they'd be in some great place and they wouldn't be scattered abroad and dispersed. We're going to find out why. But there, here were some people that were scattered abroad. Where they lived was not their home. Just like Daniel in Babylon. We've, we've spent 12 chapters in, in Daniel. I don't know how long. <laughs> and Daniel was like that. 
he was not, he was living in Babylon, but he didn't belong to Babylon. Let me put it this way. They were living in these places. They were citizens, perhaps, of Rome or living in these Roman colonies, but that was not their home. They were not home there. And they had been dispersed. Now, when this was written, not sure exactly, we're told around 63, 64 AD, it was before an emperor called Nero was going to come to the throne. You've all heard of Nero? I don't think many people name their children Nero these days. Maybe they're dogs. <laughs> and the persecution was going to get bad. These people were suffering already. And one of the reasons this book comes to them is so that they can recognise that though they go through a thorny road, they go to a joyful end. They were suffering already. Peter wasn't bringing them a message to say, chin up, you'll be right, it's going to get better. <laughs> it wasn't going to get better. It was going to get harder. And once Nero came... Uh, around 66 AD, a few years later, the persecution intensified. These Christians who were scattered, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, were going to face persecution such as we've never known here. Some do in the world today, but we've never known, known it here. I could say, cheer up, maybe it'll come. <laughs> and yet, Peter's writing to them, and he's got here a message not of despair, not of discouragement, not of hopelessness. He's got a message of hope. How can that be? How can that be that these people who were already suffering and they were deprived and life was hard and life was difficult, <laughs> that God could bring a message of hope. Surely the hope would have to be, get us out of this, Lord. Because that's our cry sometimes, isn't it? Our cry of hope is, God, get me out of this now. <laughs> and that becomes my hope and my wish and it doesn't happen. And then we get disappointed in God. We might even blame God. That wasn't the message that Peter was bringing. But he was bringing a message of hope and at such a much greater hope than the relief they might have received for a short period. We'll see that. We'll see that as we look through the book. In retrospect... I don't think any one of them would have replaced what God was doing when they came to the joyful end. You know, this is the other paradox of this book. Not only does God show us that there is a way, it's a possible reality for us to live 
through difficulties and suffering and to be victorious through difficulties and suffering. But get this. He says we can rejoice. That has to be a miraculous work of God. We do not, in our natural state, rejoice or enjoy difficulties. We don't. And yet the reality is they're here. And so Peter's... I should leave these on. I need to get these funny things that give you double sight. (laughs) So he writes to these... These suffering Christians, these sojourners who are not home, not yet, in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. And then he says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Well, we could just spend all our time there. So, look, I'm just going to say some things very briefly about this. It's, it's all according to the foreknowledge of God. God is sovereign. Right? He knew you and me, every one of us who has placed their faith and confidence, not in this world but in Jesus Christ, and has experienced the hope, the salvation that comes from him. Every one of us, God knew about, before even the world was created. (laughs) You know, Jeremiah said he he knew him even and chosen him even before he was in the womb (laughs) and as he was growing as an unborn child. He knew us before that and even further before that and even before any of space or time existed. So... What does it tell us? It tells us that with all, this, all, the, all the happenings that were going on, God wasn't surprised. It wasn't as if the latest war or the latest difficulty or the latest loss caught God off guard. God knew. And this can give us the confidence. See... I can't figure it out. Look, I'm a control person. Uh, my wife would tell you. <laughs> I like to control. I like to make sure everything's going according to plan. And then it doesn't. But God is in control. And that's what faith is. Faith is not saying, God, you explain to me how all this is going to work. And then I'll believe you. Faith is saying, I cannot hope to comprehend how it's all going to work. But I'm going to trust the one that I know can and does. That's what faith is. It's not trusting that he'll tell me everything. It's trusting a person. It's having confidence in a person. We do it all the time. When we fly, (laughs) I don't know how to fly, but I'm trusting that the pilot does. 
I don't go to the pilot and say, look, I, I want you to give me a lesson and explain how all this works. Or to the aeronautical engineer, I want to understand the theory of aerodynamics. I want to make sure I've got a good grasp of this before I get in that plane. We, we can't live like that. We're not competent. And we would never do that. And yet, <laughs> we think somehow God could explain to us how the whole cosmos <laughs> and our lives should unfold and the world should unfold. It's not even that he, he doesn't have to tell us. We, we couldn't understand it. It's beyond us. And, and let me just say, I know the difficulties and the sufferings and the trials we face. The explanations are often beyond us. I mean, we can have tried answers to say, well, you know, God is at work and those things. And it's all true. But the reality is when I'm facing the trial and I'm facing the suffering and life doesn't seem to be as I've chosen, um, I don't have an answer for it. And so in that sense, God is... When we get through 1 Peter 5... <laughs> You won't have the answers, but you'll have the person. Because your confidence isn't going to be in the answers. The confidence has to be in the person. Through thorny ways, he leads us to a joyful end. So, through the foreknowledge, there's a sanctification of the Spirit... We'll see more of this as we go through. Sanctification is God's work in transforming us. Think of it this way. A summary of Peter is to say God has got something wonderful for us. It's an inheritance. We'll see in a moment. God has got something wonderful for us. And so we can look forward to that. Who would mind the journey <laughs> when I know the end. The old saints used to talk about glory and heaven and all those things. We don't seem to talk about them so much. But that's what it is. God has something prepared for us. This is not our home. Get used to it. Don't settle down. Our home is in heaven. Our home is in heaven. That's one part of the story. God's got something wonderful for us. He has prepared for us an inheritance. But the sanctification of the Spirit, he's prepared something for us, but he's getting us ready. <laughs> so he's prepared an inheritance for us, and he's preparing us for the inheritance. And when he talks about the sanctification of the Spirit... It's, it's like a theological phrase, what does that mean? <laughs> it's really just saying, you're, you're not going to want to live in this inheritance full of sin and the way you are, surely not. We would just bring our mess to heaven. God's not, that's not his plan. He doesn't want this mess in heaven. It wouldn't be heaven. 
So he's got the inheritance, but something has to happen in us to get us ready. Are you ready? <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm ready. I've got the hope, but I'm not ready in the sense that God's got work to do still. He's got plenty of work to do. And it's going to culminate because one day we will be like him because we're going to see him as he is. So God's got it in hand. We don't have to be concerned about that. The road may be a little bit rough, but the end is a joyful end. And so Peter's writing to these people and he wants them to see this. Why does he want them to see it? He wants them to see it because this will be transformational. This will change the way I live and the way I think and my priorities and where I invest. And it will change how I come through some of the very heavy trials of life. The sanctification is there to bring about an obedience to Jesus Christ and it mentions a sprinkling with his blood. I look, I could talk a lot about that, but I want to move on. Um, So let's have a look at verse 3. The next part. So just three sections here I want to look at very briefly. That, that introductory bit was really an introduction to the book. But from 3 to 5, he introduces us to the inheritance. From 6 to 9, he introduces us to this inward transformation that has to happen before we can get our inheritance. And then from 10 to... 12, why is that there? Well, we'll find out why that's there. The inheritance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. Everywhere it's great, it's wonderful, it's it's not just mercy. (laughs) Like in, uh, in his introduction, he said, may grace and peace, he didn't say grace and peace be to you, grace and peace be multiplied, abundant. God is a God of abundance, of fullness. And so Peter's blessing God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. And look what God has done. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Wow. We don't become Christians by living in a particular way. And this is so clear here. He's writing to these believers that are scattered. What is it that makes them so? It wasn't just how they were living, it wasn't where they were born, it wasn't where they were living. It was 
a new birth. There's a number of places, not too many, where it talks about our conversion as a new birth. It's a wonderful picture, as Lawson would say, a metaphor. <laughs> it's a beautiful picture of what it means to come into the family of God. Now, you may be here today, and I can't see your hearts, God can, and there's only one thing that's going to distinguish you between being in God's family and out of God's family. It's this new birth. Some 67 years ago, I was born. <laughs> I was there, but I don't remember a lot about it. That enabled me <laughs> to come into a family, a physical family. I had a mother and a father. I was blessed with a lovely home. And I had in that family an inheritance. Everything, and I didn't understand the inheritance, by the way. <laughs> I was just a baby. But, but I came into this family by this new birth, and in being born in that family, I gained all the blessings and the benefits of being a Buddha <laughs> That's what it's like when we're born into the family of God. It's exactly the same. Now, there's no process that you could have gone to, through to become, you know, in my family without being born into the family. When my father died, my mother died, all that they had became mine and my sister's. That inheritance came to us not by virtue of what we'd done or even how we lived, but by being in the family. And when we put our trust and our confidence in Christ... When we acknowledge our hopelessness, our sinfulness, our enmity against God, and when we cry out for mercy, God be merciful to me, a sinner, something happens more than just an outward change. And I can't explain that, and you can't explain it, but many of you have experienced it. And people have experienced it through their history. And these scattered believers had experienced it. And they had, by virtue of the Spirit of God, had this transformation of life. They had been born, reborn, born again into God's family. And when they were born into God's family, just as when I was born into the family of my parents, I had no conception of all that that meant. I had no idea what I'd come into or how many fights I'd have with my sister. <laughs> but it didn't change the fact 
that that was the reality. And Paul wanted, Paul, Peter, <laughs> in writing this under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, wanted these scattered believers to recognise that having been born into this family, being born again into this family, God's family, they had now an inheritance. And look at the way it describes that inheritance. It's not like an ordinary inheritance. You see, in the physical sense, my father could have disowned me. He didn't. There are ways to lose my inheritance. But look at this inheritance. He has, because of his great mercy, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it all only happened because Christ had died for our sins and rose again from the dead. Having done that, he has given us a living hope and this inheritance that is imperishable, that just means it can never go away, right? This inheritance that we have is undefiled. It doesn't... It's not mixed with anything bad. It's a good inheritance. You know, some people I know, I've heard of, They've actually inherited their parents' debt. <laughs> I don't quite know how that works, but boy, <laughs> it doesn't sound like a great legacy. <laughs> We're not inheriting a debt. It's not undefiled in any sense. Even better, it says that the inheritance is unfading. Now, everything that we're used to in this world especially us engineers know, deteriorates. It needs maintenance to keep going. Uh, it gets worse with time, not this inheritance. Why is he saying this? Why is he going on about this inheritance to these suffering believers? He wants to lift their eyes. He wants them to think about something more than just the immediate difficulties of life. He's not minimising them. He's not saying they don't exist. He knows they exist. God knows they exist. God doesn't like to see the suffering. You know that it says in the scriptures that God takes no pleasure in the death of even the wicked. Right? It's not as if God's looking down and thinking, oh, isn't it great that these people were suffering? He's more likely to be weeping over the suffering. He loves us. But he knows. And he knows our state and he wants to encourage us to firstly to recognise that this inheritance is something wonderful to hope for. This is the good thing about the trials and difficulties of life. It does force us to 
ease our grasp on the, the things that we hold on to so strongly that we shouldn't. It does that. When we see death, it does that. It reminds us of our mortality and it reminds us that maybe we're holding on to some things too strongly. Now, I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching to myself very much as well. We do tend to get grasping hands. We do tend to settle down. I hate moving. <laughs> but I'll love that move upwards. We do tend to grasp. And so, so God puts us in places where the inheritance can become more real. It is real. But to us, we start to set our hope on the things above and not on the things of earth. Otherwise, we wouldn't do that, would we? When things are too comfortable and too good, are we just so content with where we are? And so we just relax. <laughs> not so. God wants us to lift our eyes to that inheritance. The other wonderful thing is God may have that inheritance, but he, he gives us another little assurance here. He says, not only is there this inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, un, and unfading, it's kept in heaven for you. Doesn't matter about the global financial crisis or anything else. It's kept in heaven for you. But not only is the inheritance kept for you, you're kept for it. <laughs> I just love that. So he says, who by God's power are being guarded or kept through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. One of the great things about the promises and the assurances of God is that they are promises and assurances that actually get kept. We are so used to broken promises and disappointments that we forget sometimes that God is different. He's not like that. And when God says that inheritance is kept for you, it is. We trust him. And when he says he, he'll keep us in, in the issues of life, he does. I'm sorry I have to say I like the King James better here. But that's just me, I'm getting old. It says we're kept by the power of God through faith. We're kept by the power of God through faith. You know, when you're feeling unwell, you can think about nothing else, you've got no answers, it's just a lovely phrase to reflect on. Kept by the power of God through faith. Thank you, Lord. Kept by the power of God through faith. So we have this inheritance. But hey, look at me. I'm not fit for it. Now, let me just say a word about this. Positionally, when I'm adopted into the family of God, I have all this blessing. I have the inheritance. Whether I'm fit for it or I feel I'm fit for it, it, it doesn't matter. 
the Bible talks about being clothed with the righteousness of Christ. So look, I can't say I understand all of that. But I do know this, that when Christ bore my sin on the tree, he bore it to extinction. He did away with that. And before God, I'm right. I'm right with God. That's what happens when we trust him and we confess and we repent and we experience the forgiveness of God. That's a reality. However, God's got some work to do in us here. That's what the word sanctification means. And he wants to give us an inward transformation. And so in verse 6 and 7, it says, In this you rejoice, this wonderful uh, inheritance and the salvation I have, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So you rejoice in this, even though we're facing various trials. But why, God, why? As a sovereign God, why? And he tells us this, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's he saying? He's saying that we've got this blessing of this inheritance. He wants us to lift our eyes beyond the circumstances to see what we have in a moment a little bit more. He actually wants us to see Jesus. But he wants us to see the blessing of what he has for us. And we can rejoice in that. We do. But then we've got the trials. And I don't know all the reasons that happens. I can't explain to you why the hurricane's hitting Florida today. I don't understand why people have to die in specific circumstances. But God gives us a glimpse here that there's something going on here for the believer that involves a refining and, and something, God describes it as, as more precious than gold. <laughs> I don't have a lot of gold around the place, but it's rare, it's beautiful, it's precious, it's expensive. It's more precious than that. Really? Yes. Let me put it this way. What he's saying is that if we don't do this, if you don't face these things in life that God has allowed and orchestrated often, he doesn't orchestrate the evil, but if, if these things are not there, then your faith won't be refined. 
you'll be stuck where you are, living the way you do. And that wasn't God's intention. It is, it's a mystery. It's, it's remarkable to me, um, and I just take it from God, you know, how he does this work. I mean, he could just do that and we'd be off to heaven and everything's fixed. He, he's doing something for a purpose. It, this reveals something of his purpose. It doesn't really reveal why does it have to be this way. But that's why we trust him. See, I can trust him because whilst I was an enemy, even whilst I was an enemy, God showed his love to me in that Christ died for me. And he rescued me and he gave me a hope and a certainty. And so I trust him. And so I have to learn to trust him that when the difficulties come, he's using that to do something to my faith. To make something beautiful where there's only ugliness. To change the character. To make me something that I am not today. Wouldn't you want that? <laughs> Don't you want to be more like Jesus? In our better moments, perhaps we say yes. And the trials hit and we think, oh... <laughs> Maybe not this way, Lord. But that's what he wants. That's what he wants. Romans 8, 28 to 30 puts it this way. It's a beautiful passage. We've, many of us have heard it time and time again. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he determined, he chose. He has called and those whom he has called, he justified and those whom he justified, he also glorified. See, his purpose... His purpose for us is to conform us to the image of his son. He's getting us fit for the inheritance. He's getting us fit for heaven. And heaven is going to be filled with lots of little Christs. <laughs> I don't say that irreverently. There will be only one king of kings and lord of lords. But we will be his small images. He wants us to be like him. This is the whole purpose of God's work amongst the church. He's building a building with living stones. And he's chosen it to do it this way. And Father knows best. Father knows best. But how does it work? How does he do this? How does this transformation happen? We see that in verse 8. But before I tell you verse 8, let me tell you about Giles Will Sanders. 
um, he's not living now, he was the um, head, chairman, I don't know what they called him, overseas mission fellowship, uh, was the China Inland Mission, started by Hudson Taylor, um, when he went out as, uh, by faith, uh, to bring the gospel to China. Interesting aside that I think it was when they left, uh, there was thought to be 100,000 um, uh, believers. I don't know how they get the number, but this was an estimate. And when the persecutions and the trials happened, <laughs> over the next, I think, 10 years, they estimated that had gone up to 700,000, seven times. It's not our mathematics, is it? You know? When you go to crush them, <laughs> they multiply seven times. See, there's something in this. There's some, something mysterious about the way God works and does things. There was something mysterious about the cross. No man would have planned to bring about salvation <laughs> to humankind by allowing God in the flesh to be crucified by sinful men. That didn't make sense. And so it didn't make sense what happened in China. Well, I heard J. Oswald Sanders speak. Tells me something about my age. <laughs> He's certainly not living now. He was a, a statesman. And I, I never forget, I forget a lot about what he said, but, but it was not a very big room. And I never forget him telling the story about the mother eagle. I don't know if you've ever heard this. But I'm going to tell you the story about the mother eagle. He's, the mother eagle has a nest right up high where nobody can reach it. I think they call them Aries or something like that. And, and so, you know, the, the little hatchlings hatch and they've got this nice, comfortable little nest and uh, life is wonderful. I could still see him telling the story. And they start to grow and they start to grow. And the nest is sort of filled with, you know, a bit of down or whatever it is. It's, it's a nice comfy spot to be in. And then one day, this is how he described it, Mother Eagle goes berserk. <laughs> she starts ripping out the padding and all of this stuff. And, you know, the nest is getting prickly and uncomfortable. And before long, she's ripping up parts of the nest and she's trying to push the birds out. You know, what's mum, what's got into mum? <laughs> We've been comfortable, we're safe here. <laughs> what's going on? And she persists until, you know, the, the little hatchlings who are now grown, the little baby eagles, are basically tossed out of the nest. Loving mother. What's she doing? She's teaching them to fly. Eagles weren't made to sit all their lives in this nest. Yeah. We're not made to sit where we are. We're made to fly. And then he gave us this poem. This is a beautiful poem. Listen to this. I should find out who wrote it. It's, it might even be anonymous. He says, The mother eagle wrecks her nest to make her fledglings fly, but watches each 
with outstretched wing and fierce maternal eye, and swoops if any fail to soar and lifts it to the crag once more. You see, the, the eagles start to fall. <laughs> Some of them figure I better start flapping. <laughs> if they don't quite do it right, she actually lifts them up. How fascinating. Try again. <laughs> and ultimately they're flying. The second verse. So God at times breaks up our nest, less slunk in slothful ease. Our soul's wings molt and lose the zest for battle with the breeze, but ever waits with arms of love to lift our souls all it was above. Just like that eagle breaks up the nest, <laughs> so... Oswald Sanders explained, God breaks up our nests. Yeah, he brings the troubles. He allows the trials. Right. Less slunk in slothful ease, our soul's wings molt <laughs> and lose the zest for battle with the breeze. Where do you want to be? <laughs> do you want to be stuck in the nest all my life? Or do you want to learn to fly? God wants us to fly. And one of the ways it happens, one of the practical ways is in verse 7, where he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, salvation of your souls. Jesus is in it all. See, part of the way he gets us fit is by looking to him. He's committed to conforming us to his image. And that, the way that happens, the way that that happens is that we, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image. If you want to become like Jesus, you have to look at him. You have to look unto Jesus. You have to spend time with Jesus. And he transforms us in the midst of suffering and he uses it. Right, the last part, we have to finish. I'll get into trouble if I don't finish quickly. Verses 10 to 12. It says, Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. It talks about the prophets and how they foretold what God was going to do. And it even says that these are things that the angels long to look at. I, I think this is here just so we recognise how valuable all this is to us. Familiarity breeds contempt. The angels <laughs> are gazing and thinking, look at that inheritance. And that salvation, look what God has done. It's a wonder. We can look at it for so long and, I don't know, we become mesmerised and we forget what we have in Jesus. I'm going to finish with this story. This is a true story. It happened a few years ago. It's a true story that actually happened. So a painting had hung for decades in the kitchen wall above a cooking hot plate in an open-plan kitchen of a 1960s house near Compagne, north of Paris. There's a lady here, 
the owner, who was in her 90s. She had no idea where that painting had come from or how it got into the family's hands. In June 2019, the woman decided to sell her house and move away. An auctioneer who had been called to value the furniture, noticed the painting, suspected that it might be worth a little bit. So, this little painting, it was only 26 centimetres by 20 centimetres. It was actually a picture of Christ being mocked, interestingly enough. A 13th century Florentine work, and it was auctioned shortly later for more than 24 million euros. That's like, you know, close to $50 million. Here it was for years, little painting hanging on the wall of the house. <laughs> no idea of its value. It's like that, isn't it, sometimes? You know, here's our inheritance. We've got no concept, no sense of wonder about the value. We don't talk about heaven and, and glory. We do, but it's like, you know, spiritual talk. <laughs> I'm not wedded to it. And all the while, this painting, $50 million, hanging on the wall. Isn't it God wonderful? He wants to lift our eyes. He wants us to see the wonder of it all. He wants us to see past the suffering to the joy. Even Jesus, it says, he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. I'll close with this poem. Adelaide Proctor, only lived 39 years. Uh, didn't live an easy life. But I love this hymn. She says, I thank thee too that all our joy is touched with pain, that shadows fall on brightest hours that thorns remain, so that earth's bliss may be our guide and not our chain. I thank thee, Lord, that though our souls are amply best, blessed, can never find, although they seek, a perfect rest, nor ever shall until they lean on Jesus' rest. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, when we think about it all and all that you have for us, we know we have it all in Jesus. We have it because of what you've done in sending your son to die for us on the cross. And we have a glory to look forward to. So teach us, Lord, not to be the grumblers. Grant us endurance, especially, Lord, those who have suffered chronically. We know there are some in the church. We pray that you'd encourage their hearts to see Jesus and, Lord, prepare us and refine us to be ready for that glorious day when again we'll see him as he is and be like him, we pray in Jesus' name.